Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Season 7. Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Episode 10. No, 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 no. Danger snack alert! The artist formerly known as Darth Maul lets us and Ahsoka in on the galaxy's longest con. It's time for the Republic and Jedi to fall, and danger is coming from inside the house! I mean, inside the Senate! I mean, nobody knows who this insidious dude could be, but our man Maul is at least putting out the call that the biggest big baddie is wreaking (laughs) havoc. Should Ahsoka believe this delicious ex-Sith Lord, or should she forge her own path to securing Mandalore for the Mandalorians from the Maldalorians? Master Kaleen and Padawan Sarah learn from Master Obi-Wan that the future is shrouded in shadow. Concerned for his former Padawan Anakin, but also knowing Ahsoka will need assistance on Mandalore, he implores them to remain in Sundari until Ahsoka finishes her mission. But they share a grim glance and wonder what Maul meant when he said the Republic's time was nigh. Welcome, ravenous streamers and culture consumers aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan Learner Sarah O'Connor, Queen of Queries, Lady of Literature, and Defender of those droids. And I'm Jedi Master Colleen McMillan. Lady of Loggers, Gryffindor Prefect, and Rebel Scum Collaborator, with our quick disclaimer that there's still much both Sarah and I desire to learn about Star Wars to earn the ranks that we carry. And as a friendly reminder, we will be discussing some spoilers using some adult content-y language. So if you haven't watched episode 10 yet, or if the idea of Darth Maul asking you to intern with him makes you uncomfortable, then please, please, please send the start date information along to Colleen and I at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. And so while we wait for those delicious details to come pouring on in, you know what, Colleen? Let's punch it. That's right, listeners. Let's hop into the Millennium Fandom for our episode recap. The opening card once again, you know, I think it's going to be like this for the rest of the season. There's no opening card, no moral, just that luscious Lucasfilm Limited coming at us. Ominous music in the background. And we get the red Clone Wars logo again, backed by a very malicious choral arrangement. And frankly, y'all, Colleen and I have been like frothing at the bit to dive into this episode. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know where to begin because they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And beginning with a simple opening, I loved how it opened right where the episode left off. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I absolutely loved hearing Maul's verbal interactions now that the previously silent Sith is like full on (laughs) monologuing sage (laughs) advice this episode in particular. Heck yeah. I mean, I fully expected Maul to attack Ahsoka immediately after last episode's cliffhanger, but he doesn't. It's like, what? What is going on here? Instead, he's like circling her like a curious little jungle cat and he's just (laughs) calmly explaining how The moment may be upon us. Dropping those omnipotent truths with each breath. But then Rex and the others have to come to Ahsoka's aid, cutting off Maul. 
He escapes. His Mandalorians are retreating closely behind him. He's out of there. And cue scene cut and enter, in my <laughs> humble opinion, semi-creepy-looking Holly Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, we might differ there, but when I saw him, I was like, yikes, Obi-Wan, you need a shower and a makeover stat. <laughs> I, I think he looks sad, not creepy. I mean, he's got those freaking huge sandbags under his eyes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he needs some of that beard wax that uh, people were talking about all those episodes back. Mm. But no matter your point of view on that, Maul's not the only one dropping truths this episode. I was shocked that Obi-Wan actually told them what he knows about Darth Sidious. Yeah. And then he also tells them that Anakin killed Count Dooku. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops Sorry about that, guys. It was our one lead, but that's fine. So you can own- tell how you can tell how tired Obi-Wan is <laughs> because he's like, just fuck it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna fucking <laughs> spill the beans because the beans yep. are spilling anyway, and mm-hmm. I just need a cup of coffee and a nap, <laughs> and not in that order. <laughs> exactly. Poor Obi-Wan. He does. He just looks done. He's like, maybe somebody else can help me carry this load because at this point Anakin is pretty much a load around Obi-Wan's yes. neck. <laughs> so now, though, that Dooku's dead, the only one who might have any of that sweet intel on Enboss Sith Grand Supreme is Maul. So she got to catch him, just like a Pokemon. Got to catch him, Ahsoka. Yeah, and I really found it interesting. I always find it interesting whenever, like, big characters decide to have, like, a tete-a-tete or, like, a little side combo. <laughs> and here, he, like completely non-conspicuously tells everyone he wants to gossip with only Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. And not only had he spilled previous beans, he further spills other delicious little tidbits by telling Ahsoka that Anakin has been sent to spy on Palpy. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka, kind of like some of us as viewers, like incredulously asks, why would you expect me to be like no yeah please go spy on your surrogate father because that that will 100 be received completely well Mm -hmm. and so refreshingly perhaps she refuses to condone the council's actions and is called away by wingman rex Mm -hmm. but not before telling obi like yo tell anakin So Obi-Wan, grim, but still with maybe that glimmer of rebellion hope, responds, I will. And so I don't know what the future holds for this arc. In the now, at least, I do appreciate that Obi admits to Ahsoka (laughs) that the council can be flawed. I think that's a very cool lesson for viewers, especially younglings, to be able to, to listen to some heroes and cue an amazing tracking shot down into the tunnel system where Ahsoka learns that Maul took the ARC trooper, Jesse. Yep, yep. So Maul wants to learn everything about Ahsoka before making his next move, but Jesse is having none of it. But Maul, our king of soliloquies, gives a classic villain monologue to a truly captive audience <laughs> about his theory on the chaos that is to come. And his plan to get as much power as possible. So what's the forecast look like, Sarah, out there? 
Talk about gloomy, Master Jedi. Here's the scene on Mandalore. I mean, it's quite frankly pretty bleak, more galactically speaking, though Maul is not in the wrong. Forecast Order 66 coming in hot, making those clones likely to obey. Then later in the week, we'll be seeing that if they ignore the order, they might actually die. Huh. Bleak. Back to you, Colleen. What are we seeing as Jesse screams, follow Gar Saxon? Jesse is screaming quite a bit, so the force mind torture not going so well for him. But our little Gar Saxon, dickhead, he slithers away to go take care of Prime Minister Almec. But he takes just long enough for our little Almec guy to actually spill some secrets to Ahsoka, just like Obi Wan mm-hmm. did. He says that Maul has no intention of running that Maul wanted to bring the Jedi to Mandalore, and the name Skywalker. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I also Mm. appreciate how he just somehow was able to unwrap those little gift nuggets to us before passing abruptly that was that was really really kind of him to do that yeah very very helpful and then back in the tunnels maul tells the crime syndicates to go into hiding and rouses his maldalorians in a speech that i consider to be quite up at the same kind of level as fighting in the name of Van Halle for a little Vikings Nordic script writing mm-hmm. shout out. In other words, prepare to die, cannon fodder. And after he starts getting his pawn warriors in action, <laughs> he heads up to that best car iron throne to lounge and wait mm-hmm. for Ahsoka Rex and Bo-Katan to arrive. And in one of the coolest moments, I think we can argue. And, you know, as this is a non-visual medium, Master Jedi Colleen is nodding along. Maul almost gets Ahsoka (laughs) to join his cause or the cause, however you look at it. But what but I I think we can argue has truly one of the best, if not the best, lightsaber battle in Star Wars history. Before pseudo comically <laughs> being thrown through a window in acme like fashion, classic again, classic Star Wars, right? Ahsoka chases Maul down, and they have like another epic fight in the beams, graphic novelly style, high above the city. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, she bests him weaponless, which I think is very poetically beautiful. So dope. And mm-hmm. also refuses to let him fall to his death and ensures that the clones can capture him per boyfriend mm-hmm. Obi's orders. <laughs> but Maul's manic screams leave a bad feeling and kind of like a I'm kind of excited feeling in her mm-hmm. and our minds. Ahsoka has to be thinking in her head like, huh, he seems real adamant about that this. That seemed a like, little maybe rational. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we're done with our recap, now we want to go into our little theme of the episode, which is phantoms. Yeah. So we we really wanted to go into that episode title, The Phantom Apprentice, for the theme, 
as well as bring us full circle back to episode one, The Phantom Menace. And what's really cool about this is it allows us to frankly kick off the episode with one of the most pivotable, pivotable, master and apprentice questions, which is who precisely, if we could even pick a singular one, is that phantom apprentice? Well, you can look at three different options for who our phantomy phantom apprentice is. Our main choice, of course, is Anakin yep. Skywalker himself, unknowingly groomed by Mr. Chancellor Sheev Palpatine since he was nine. So creepy. Palpy's been working on his grand plan for decades, but so many pieces fell into place when Qui-Gon Jinn brought little Anakin into Palpy's sights. Now, Anakin never knows He's the apprentice apparent. He's a little dense about certain things. So he really doesn't notice this. Not until that fateful moment when he freaking bows down to Sidious and calls him master. So we kind of like that symmetry with Palpy being the titular phantom menace of the prequels. And it fits just so nicely that Anakin would be his phantom apprentice here at the end. Now, if it isn't Anakin, who is the heavily favored chosen one phantom apprentice who else could this maybe be referring to mm -hmm. and i think that this could also be maul of course and or ahsoka too i mean both of them are fringe members of their groups the sith and the jedi respectively neither really belong and they're both considered outcasts and more importantly they both know it like when maul pitches his team-up idea he says to ahsoka well were you not cast out of your order we were both tools for greater powers. And he's not wrong. Yeah, and I really loved this speech in particular. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's given A plus pitch right now. I mean, we can be prepared for Maul to be not wrong pretty much this entire episode. <laughs> and perhaps in our pod in general, especially yep. going forward with this arc. I just really like to bring it back to the theme too, that they're both phantoms basically within the force. They're wild cards, they're not completely loyal to either side, and they're also both phantoms to their former masters, these shadows left in Sidious and Anakin's wakes. I like the idea that for purposes of Clone Wars, the Phantom Apprentice would almost be Ahsoka because the presumption, at least at the time of creating the movie The Phantom Mentis, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I feel like it was supposed to refer to Maul, at least like, uh, you know, advertising stuff just hyped <laughs> yeah. Maul up so much that I think it's kind of interesting Star Wars Monday night quarterbacking <laughs> to almost allude to it as like a flip side of the same force coin here. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm very compelled by the argument that no, it actually refers to Anakin all along i i really like when something can narratively stick from a continuity perspective even as things do get twisted mm -hmm. it's the galaxy is just too big when it can be many meanings also it can have that yeah hero of 1000 faces i mean yep. the phantom menace phantom crescent apprentice can have many faces yeah, and, and I'll say shouts to Ventress, who maybe mm. is the most underlooked 
phantom apprentice of them all. Like Ventress, Ventress is actually sitting on the sidelines going, actually, it refers to me. What are all right. of you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn to our glowing, beautiful seven holocrons, a.k.a. our repositories of knowledge. And so, Colleen, as we look to our first holocron setting time location, let's kind of knock this out of the park like Maul's prophetic understandings. Mm -hmm. Are we in the same place? Yep. Still on Mandalore. Stay same time? Yep. Right after the last episode. Cool. It's cool. (laughs) So let's move on to that second holocron in the sky. Oh, yeah. Who is here? If we can get into kind of that boxing match mentality mm-hmm. fighting for the gray maybe the light side is ahsoka bo katan rex the night owls and the 332nd company Boom. they have many attributes for maul to dislike the fact that she can hold her own with maul is incredible and foreshadows her rebels goat status that's right fighting for the light maybe gray side we get hollow obi our sad-faced boy He's just been ordered to Utapau to find that really nasty General Grievous. And then last for our heroes, we get that OG angel in the sky, Annie Skywalker. Uh, Thera. Oh, he's uh, busy? <laughs> Can't uh, come to the hollow? We're just uh, not going to look into this at all? I mean, he's, there's just not so much we can about it oh great so this is not the plot point we are looking for huh nothing to see here moving on to the villains so moving on to the villains since apparently (laughs) what's going on with annie ain't on anybody's radar who is is prime minister almec still hanging around in that jail cell for now and Gar Saxon, Rookcast, and the Maul DeLoreans are also here okay. again mm-hmm. for and, now. Yeah, for now. Uh... <laughs> but then you also get these kind of fun blink and you'll miss them cameos from Maul's shadow collective leadership. We have yeah. Marg Krim in that other corner with the Pikes, Zetan Moj of the Black Sun. And then we get baby Dryden Voss of Crimson Dawn. Shouts to Solo always. And we're going to go really in depth on that main villain, Maul in the pod. So without more ado, let's see what culture inspired by Maul we're crashing (laughs) today. It's time to head to Dathomir and Iridonia to dissect the culture of the Zabrax. Since we covered Ahsoka and the Togrudas last episode, we're doing a nice about face and looking into Maul's people. And the Zabrax, they were kind of near human, actually carnivorous creatures, species native to Iridonia. They have that distinctive horns and a crown shape around their heads, and they actually have two hearts. Aww. So like, Maul's got two hearts, guys. Like, he's not using them very well, but he's got them. And now some of Zabrax use tattoos to show off, like, tribal heritage. Some used it to denote their status as warriors. So kind of mirroring Ahsoka again, even though her markings are natural, Maul plays up his with those sweet, sweet tats. And although most male Zabrax, like Maul, lived on Iridonia, some lived on Dathomir, 
where he eventually lived and was raised, under the rule of those sexy witchy night sisters. Yeah. These male cybrics are known as the Night Brothers, and both Maul and his brother Savage Opress, another great Star Wars name called, were Night Brothers. But while Maul was a natural force user and a powerful one, since Palpy basically like handpicked him out, was like, you're my boy now, it's theorized that Savage might not have been. Like, he was a super adept fighter against Ventress, so he might have had some latent force ability, but mm-hmm. he was heavily augmented by Mother Talson's night sister magics. And this is really evident because when he dies, that kind of green, funky, putrid-looking, smoky magic stuff leaves his body. Mm-hmm. And then, switching from green, going back to our color red that we covered last episode, I thought this was cool. On my rewatch of the last couple Night Scissors episode, it looks like Maul is the only Night Brother that has that flaming red skin. Like you see, that's so cool. That like dingy dark orange and maybe like dirty rust colored, but he's the only natural ginger, which is like a legit type of mine. But I obsess. <laughs> do go on, Colleen. We all do. He looks great. So on Dathomir, the ladies, the Night Sisters, they ruled the roost. And the men were completely subservient. Like, they never went to go see the Knight Brothers unless they wanted a mate, basically. Interesting. So the men were just expected to train all the damn time in order to be deemed even, like, semi-worthy to date a Knight Sister. So that's why they're all ridiculously jacked. Gotcha. Like, super, super buff, guys. Another cool little nugget that I found out, Zabrax actually fought against the Empire's attempts to control them. And instead of surrendering, a That's lot of awesome. them joined the rebellion. Like, That's nice awesome. You guys, it's so cool. They're considered to be really proud, self-determined, strong-willed, defiant, maybe a little arrogant, but we're going to call them independent. Yeah, so precociously words, independent. Yeah, precocious. <laughs> Just don't try and tell Zabrak what to do, basically. And then there are a couple other Zabraks that we see in Clone Wars besides Maul and Savage. We get... Jazz, uh, Jazz Imari. She was actually another Zabrak from the Aftermath book trilogy. Her aunt is in the Clone Wars. She's oh. a bounty hunter. She shows up in a couple episodes. And then we also get Jedi Masters, Eith Koth and Aegon Kolar, who are actually both killed. Oopsies. During Order 66 and shortly after. Well, that's a tough, tough pill thing. to swallow. But a cool item that you don't want to be swallowing (laughs) is if we switch to our fourth holocron. Last episode, we paid homage to Ahsoka's lightsaber. So it only makes sense for us to search through Maul's weapon collection. Heck yeah. Quote, let it be nothing more than what it is, an instrument of murder. And nameless. Now, this is Maul talking about his first double-bladed saber when Palpy suggests he name it. Lots of people name their swords. Lots of, you know, what? Yeah, lots of (laughs) blankety-blanks. Lots of of (laughs) C-words. Well, considered legends, the story of Maul's First Saber is also referenced in some canon sources, and we really like this quote for our dude. Not only is he referring to the weapon, but cleverly, he is also inadvertently referring to himself. 
in a very bittersweet reminiscing of a storyline we see elsewhere like Grey Worm, Maul doesn't remember his actual name, just the name that Palpy gave him. So Maul's effectively nameless and is also an instrument of murder and darkness. It's as though Maul knows exactly what he is to Palpy, just a deadly cog in the machine. Obi-Wan cut the saber and Maul too, oopsie doopsie, (laughs) in half during their duel on Naboo. But Maul recovered half of the saber and apparently half of himself too. (laughs) Anyways, regardless of whether or not you love or hate that or occasionally love hate that, he Mm -hmm. uses the single blade through much of Clone Wars. But we discover in this episode, he reforged the weapon once again to his preferred double blade. So he actually, much like Ahsoka, has a couple different sabers during his lifetime. His second saber is the Dark Saber. This is the fabled saber of the Mandalorians. It makes Maul one of the few non-Mandalorians to wield it. And we're going to talk about Dark Saber probably a lot more in later episodes, especially when we get around to covering Rebels or the Mandalorian. Suffice to say, when Maul defeated Pre Vizsla in Season 5 of the Clone Wars and claimed the Saber, he became the de facto leader of Mandalore, because the Dark Saber is a symbol of the office. Like, shit. As he's beheading Pre Vizsla, Pre Vizsla must be thinking, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I just put my nation in the hands of a maniac. <laughs> this is great. He also has a third Saber, which was most likely claimed from an Inquisitor and might be why they call him the Shadow ah. that he defeated. But we don't know really which one he defeated or where he got this weapon. It just kind of looks like one of theirs with the broken circle in the middle. Gotcha. And he has this weapon in the movie Solo, as well as on Rebels. It's also double-bladed, but it can be disguised as a cane for when he's impersonating that wizened old Force user. Like, you're not fooling anyone, Maul. Well, he fools Ezra, but that's behind the same point. Another fun fact for that saber is during the production of Solo, Maul's original saber was planned to be used until the voice actor for Maul, Sam Witwer, pointed out that he wouldn't have that saber in this time period. So nice save, husband. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I also want to say just like to our listeners that like, the holocron is supposed to be called cool item and clearly colleen like read the term broadly and ambiguously to make it be three items which you might find to be a reoccurring subplot theme in this episode but i digress and to say that it is now you know quote the moment may be upon us it's time for that fifth holocron homages and Easter eggs. So we'll see how many Easter eggs you collected <laughs> for us this episode. Kick us up uh, with the first one, eh? Oh, man, I try to keep it as low as possible. <laughs> I can talk about this stuff forever. Okay, so our first little kind of homage is Morlocks. So we were reminded of these vicious sewer-dwelling antagonists from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine when we were watching Maul and the Marauders in the tunnels. And as Maul later tells his doomed followers, Mandalorians weren't meant to cower underground. 
but this is exactly what happens to them in the Mandalorian TV series. Like, yeah. The once proud people are reduced to hiding in the sewers, unable to show their faces for fear of destruction. And do you know, Colleen, from a continuity in the real world perspective, was mm-hmm. this intentional? It could have been because Dave Filoni worked on the Mandalorian with Jon Favreau. Okay. And developed that series. So it could be Dave kind of wink winking. I really like that. Because I I feel like this season of the Clone Wars is doing that. Like Mm -hmm. really leaning into those self-referring. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I think part of this episode too, we do see the Night of the Thousand Tears happening in the background. Like we don't have a viewpoint character who's actually on the ground seeing it. Gotcha. So they'll probably go back to that in the TV show, The Mandalorian. Yeah. But I think this is when it was happening. So we at least have some timeline linking up here. We still don't know about the purge and why the Mandalorians are like always wearing their helmets now. Yeah. Okay. We don't know yet where this is the way came from. Okay. But we're guessing it's when the Empire purges them. Gotcha. Still haven't seen yet. Okay. So then speaking of a maybe less horrible kind of purge, let's talk about Mm -hmm. the Joffrey Baratheon throw room makeover that happens between when it was Satine's throne room and Mm -hmm. Maul's throne room. Well, you know, Maul really likes to redecorate. I mean, you'll notice in the earlier episode, like Satine's throne right behind it, there's those really like glowing golden stained glass looking kind of windows. But our dude Maul, he added these more red spiky kind of this is my ego trip and watch me sit in the throne that looks like me kind of moments. So it's like you go from this beautiful golden sateen to this like, ooh. <laughs> the throne room is scary now, guys. We're not going in there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And speaking of scary, in what kind of ways for our little third Easter egg thing, did you kind of see echoes of Kylo Ren and Darth Vader at all? So Maul didn't know he could do this, guys, this well, was deflecting the blaster fire from Bo-Katan, just like Kylo Ren and Darth Vader are seen doing. So I thought it was really cool, like linking Maul to the two most powerful dark side users besides palpy of course and canon was a really intriguing choice like for a guy who takes a lot of l's maul is really powerful like yeah and then yeah he just needs to work on his pitch yeah, he, his he elevator just speech needs a better needs to pitch. Be shorter they didn't remind him that the elevator speech needs to be short <laughs> yeah also i love the like i have of course have a soft spot for maul because i really wish that he could have had the chance to change but he does that same hand reaching out thing too that both Kylo and Vader yeah. do. Like Kylo reaching out to Rey in another throne room in The Last Jedi. And then you have Vader reaching for Luke on Bespin, the Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back. So is this like mm-hmm. another clue that Maul possibly could have been turned to the light side if they're aligning I him think with yes. Vader and Kylo Ren? Like, Absolutely, 100%. Yes. Happened. But that's just yeah. me. 100%. Just because yes. we want it doesn't mean we get it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. But what is Marg Krim doing oh, here, Colleen? Here's another one we spot. I don't know. What is he doing here? I thought he should be dead after events from Dark Disciple novel. I mean, 
I, I guess not. My theory is that Black Sun wasn't attacking the Pike stronghold in the novel, I guess. Maybe they had decided they needed a solid strategy against Maul and were heading there for like some more negotiations. Like, we should really join forces, though, after like the whole, oh, we kidnapped your family thing failed. Like, you know, yeah. basic criminal enterprise stuff. I guess it really depends where the novel hits in the timeline. I did a little bit more research on it. Like, I wasn't sure. Is the novel before or after the Sons of Dathomir comics? Like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> and in the Sons of Dathomir comics, both the Pikes and the Black Sun say they're done with Maul. So what are they even doing in the hologram in this arc? Like, what is happening <laughs> so i'm still not really sure there the prevailing agreed upon continuity arc for dark disciple and son of dathomir are dark disciple chapters 1 through 25 was supposed to be in the middle of the planned season six which didn't happen okay and then darth maul son of dathomir was supposed to be the finale of the planned season six and then they were going to make people wait <laughs> Until the beginning of season seven to do chapters 26 through 42 of Dark Disciple. So. And how do you know <laughs> this? Not that I don't believe you, but like, how how is this determined? I looked on Wikipedia, legend, not legends per se, because it's not legends, but just their planned arcs that they were going to do. And it lists like 6.1 through 6. Point blah 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 for this arc and this and this one. Gotcha. And so it kind of breaks down what they had intended for season six gotcha. and season seven to look like, which just makes me mad because there were so many more episodes, like 24 episodes per season. <laughs> so instead of continuing that discussion, <laughs> let's continue our discussion about flagging. Mm the son daughter parallels mm -hmm. which is again our rebels shout out storyline mm -hmm. that is possibly being weaved into intentional thanks dave filoni mm -hmm. into clone wars being voiced by zam whitworth mm -hmm. both the son yeah <laughs> both the son and maul have a lot in common and not just from a vocal standpoint mm -hmm. The main thing being, perhaps, is that they both think they've got the galaxy's <laughs> rawest deal. So it's like the fight for, like, the, biggest the best worthy tantrum. <laughs> yeah, yes. Who's the best winter and why? That's exactly what it is. But this poor little winter mm. Maul reaches out his hand to Ahsoka, mm. asks her to join him, and is like fighting her, but not exactly trying to kill her, telling her how alike they are. And it's just this, I love these moments in Star Wars. He's asking her to choose him, to follow him, not necessarily his family. Like he at least understands that like, <laughs> you can't just like, you got to put on some breaks when you're asking for apprentice. But he does really make a good sell on why they would be a formidable duo. Mm -hmm. And so while we think Ezra, again, watch Rebels, is a fantastic match for who, if anyone, will be the sun's newest embodiment, Maul mm -hmm. is a pretty great first stand-in mm -hmm. if he would 
still be alive. We don't, <laughs> again, there's a ghost universe now. I don't know what could happen. Right. This is, this is Star Wars. <laughs> but ultimately, at least from the quote unquote dark side, Maul is a great first stand in, especially when compared to the owl lady Tanu herself. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka remains our daughter stand in, symbolizing that light. Mm -hmm. And even as she notably accepts Maul's offer, we have no doubt that she would remain allied with the light. And maybe we're just two optimistic <laughs> fangirls in a crazy world, but we have a little private hunch that Ahsoka could maybe even succeed or at least would try to succeed in turning our wayward dark side son mm -hmm. over to the lighter side of Lady Tanu. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Maul's not switching sides today. Mm -hmm. So let's at least us switch sides, which gets us to the key point of our next holocron, that sixth holocron, that big, delicious Darth Pilatius. Maul certainly knows a lot more than he's saying. Or does he? He's so cagey with his intel that, frankly, it's hard to say exactly how much Sidious told him or that Maul's been able to deduce. Because at least from my watching standpoint, it seems like Maul understands that there's a Sidious, but he hasn't been privy to the biggest baddie himself. Yeah, I don't think he knows that it's Palpatine at all. Yeah, one thing he does know for sure at least in his brain, is that Anakin isn't here to bring balance to the Force mm -hmm. unless Balance's real name here is Destruction. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, Maul's like, if Balance means he's destroying the galaxy, then I guess. Like, if there's no yeah. one left. <laughs> if, if Balance means there's no longer a measuring scale, then yes, <laughs> Anakin is here to bring balance to the Force. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I know that the other Sith Lords have gotten visions too, but this one made Maul our Darth Plotius. Yes. He is Darth Plotius. He received that terrible future vision and Anakin was obviously front and center. He's like the boy who called Sith. Which is great. Like warning that something awful is coming. He can't change anything about it though. Like he's our audience avatar too. He's us. Yeah. He knows things we know and is incapable of changing the outcome. Like, we don't know exactly what he saw in his vision, although that would be really cool if we could see what he saw. But I yeah. think the final words that he yells really forcefully at Ahsoka and the clones at the end might be foretelling their futures. Quote, you're all going to burn. We're all going to die. You don't know what you're doing. And like somewhere Jamie Lannister raises his golden hair, it, like golden hand in the air. When I saw that, I I literally was like Targaryen prophecy dragon dreams. Yep. Yep. Fire and blood, baby. It's coming. And once again, to kind of shoot our shot here with the maybe this was a light side vision, like kind of reaching out to any available force user who might listen. Yeah. Because like, none of the Jedi are going to fucking listen, of course. Mm -mm. It's interesting for us to think that Maul might have turned into an agent of light side. 
if only Ahsoka had heeded his warning and joined him. Like, there could have been a chance for that to happen. But since he was a former Sith, they're of course not going to trust him. All right, so we're going to move on to our next holocron, which is normally reserved for some little beep-boopy friends of ours, the Defender of Droids, our Droid Liberation and Defense Organization. But since there aren't any droids here to defend, we're going to pivot to, you guessed it, folks, Defending Maul. (laughs) I mean, he's half cybernetic, right? So let's make him an honorary droid. All in favor? I second. And the motion carries because there's only two of us and this is who you have to listen to. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, I've seen these little theories kind of flying around on the web that Palpatine was impressed with Maul's force abilities in Clone Wars when he was fighting him in Savage, even though a large portion of his body is cybernetic. You don't have to have all of your body, you say, to be able to wield force power? Half your midichlorians are gone, you say, but you're still able to pull off this kind of shit? Like, and this could have led him to consider that Anakin could be just as efficient or even useful after those devastating injuries on Mustafar. Like, yeah. He's burned to a crisp. I don't know what exactly he can be doing when he's that down for the count. So thanks, Maul. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, I guess. I guess. We also have to go over all those freaking hard truth bombs that Maul was dropping in this episode. What's important is he never lies to Ahsoka, which means he's never lying to the viewer once in the episode, which I adore. Mm -hmm. And he also, I mean, again, let's be clear. We like playing Sith advocate (laughs) over here. We know that Maul has done some bad things and we're not over here, again, condoning the massacre of younglings and innocents. He would need to do a lot of freaking... A lot of therapy a and lot social of, like work. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a lot of work, but at least in this episode, we appreciate that he gave Ahsoka multiple chances to join him. Mm-hmm. Now he does add in just a touch <laughs> of or die, but we really doubt his heart was in killing her. He mm-hmm. he had a mission and he desperately wanted and still wants a partner and wasn't and isn't interested in wasting valuable resources. And two phrases that stood out to us and some early watchers were quote, justice is merely the construct of the current power base. I mean, hello, social studies lesson right there. And quote studies lesson right there. (laughs) Too late, again, timely, for the Republic to fail? It already has, and you just can't see it. There is no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. The time for the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious, but together, you and I can and i don't know if he's sipping trelawney's tea or what but he is knocking it out of the park yep yep he is selling it hard freaking core here even though his idea of justice is probably a little skewed like maybe a little revengey he's raising some really important points that ahsoka can't really ignore we we don't think ahsoka would follow him into the darkness like even though she says like yes i will help you 
I don't think she's going dark. I don't think we would have to worry about that in any way, shape, or form. Since neither she nor I nor Colleen are signing the lease on a red kyber crystal, can you give one final shout to Rebels before mm-hmm. we move on to Critics Corner? Heck yes. Gotta shout out Rebels whenever we can, whenever possible. Like, this is not the first time nor the last we will see Maul's little apprenticeship sales bitch. Um, he gives it to our little Star Wars version of Aladdin. When you combine the character with Mati, plus a ton of force power, a.k.a. Mr. Ezra Bridger. Yeah. Like, we see him give this pitch to a much more <laughs> accepting Ezra. Like, come on, Ezra. <laughs> Stupid, superpowered empathy. But we're going to go over those episodes, plot points, and feelings for another day. So now it's time to move on to our I've Got a Bad Feeling About This and Critics Corner. And Maul is afraid that our way of thinking is behind the times. And we're certainly having a similar bad feeling about this entire situation. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned Retcon's last Mm -hmm. episode and womp womp depending on your viewpoint were there retcons here colleen oh my <laughs> were there whoopsie were there whoopsie doopsie <laughs> there were some slightly glaring changes from the ahsoka novel mainly during that entire mall ahsoka danger tango like in the book she pulls an obi-wan basically from rebels twin sons and captures maul really quickly like, doesn't really have to do anything. They don't have that gorgeous balletic duel. They have, like, a little bit of trash talk, but you don't get Maul's sales pitch either. You just kind of have him fronting, being Maul, but without that kind of charm and charisma. So I'm actually really glad that they changed it for this episode. Like, we wouldn't have yeah. gotten those amazing long lens shots of Ahsoka and Maul facing each other in the throne room. We wouldn't have gotten that. It really was cool graphically beautiful. Oh, it was stunning. We wouldn't have gotten that saber battle. There's no saber battle in the Ahsoka novel. I remember reading it and being like, huh, interesting. Oh. And we also see again, get that the takedown. like, did you earn it? Yes, yeah, yes. did you earn it? So I would say for this part of the episode, yes, that retcon is very, very, very earned. Gotcha. I also wanted to dig into that shattered glass moment a little bit. That kind of slow motion blast into the throne room where miraculously neither of them are hit by any flying glass (laughs) yes very one of the most realistic shots Mm -hmm. of the series i mean sure power of the force i guess (laughs) they don't get hit by any of that glass i love this like symbology of this shattering glass moment kind of that beautiful fragile glass of the jedi order is broken now Yeah. Almost completely for Ahsoka. When Maul says, every choice you have made has led you to this moment, like besides just giving us viewers chills, this is like even more glass shattering for Ahsoka. She has to weigh the effects of all these choices that she's made. Like, oh shit, did all of my choices really bring me here to this guy? This guy? Will she take his outstretched hand to save the galaxy? And this can also be seen as the turning point in Maul's speech. If he had chosen a different way to tell Ahsoka about Anakin or had chosen to lie once, just one little lie here, and keep back that Anakin was going to be Sidious's new apprentice, would their interaction have come out differently? And you know what? Here's the thing. 
I'll push back and say it was the exactly correct answer mm -hmm. because it was candid and true. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. It's just we see how there there is that Jedi argument that love can make you blind and mm -hmm. we push back against it. But mm -hmm. here, at least in this case, Ahsoka's love for Anakin and who she knows Anakin to be blinds her to the truth of what Maul is saying. And then yeah. also some biases of who Maul is. Oh, yeah. Not that those biases <laughs> weren't <wrong>. earned. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Yep. Uh, I mean, un unfortunately, once you break the glass, it's impossible to put it back together. Unless, little plug for the Aragon series, your <laughs> dragon's name is Sephira. That's... <laughs> And since we don't have a dragon named Sephira here to fix any <laughs> fancy schmancy glass, let's turn to a another important shiny, shiny thing. And that is who won the best, best car for episode 10. Shouts once again. You did not just pick one. It's supposed to be a like this is not how this works, Colleen. You're supposed to pick one. I was only going to pick one, but then I felt bad. But then, okay, so my A, my A winner is my husband, the very, very, very handsome and geeky Sam Whitwer. Mm -hmm. who is the vocal actor for Maul. But I also wanted to thank motion capture extraordinaire Ray Park. <laughs> yep. And, and I mean, truly, they are, Maul. yeah, they are together the embodiment of Maul. So I'll, I'll, I'll let that pass. <laughs> Only slight objections. <laughs> so going back to my A, my number, number one A man, Without Sam's dedication to this character and his freaking willingness to throw himself completely into the performance, Maul would not be as impactful. Yeah. He brings so much depth, pathos, that menace, also that vulnerability, and that really coiled insanity to yeah. this really difficult role. Like, I don't know who else could have done this role. Bravo, sir. And then our B guy... Ray Park, he's a fucking force of nature, pun definitely intended. For he sure. brought that like necessary raw energy and technique to those duels with Ahsoka through that motion capture. Like we were so glad that Dave Filoni was like, tap that guy. And then not to get Sarah. <laughs> yeah, wait, mad. what? But I also have a C. <laughs> I also have a C. We had we couldn't just point out Ray Park. We also have to shout out Lauren Mary Kim. Who is the stunt performer who provided motion capture for Ahsoka in the duel? How does she even move like that, Sarah? So since, like, I guess as um, Drew says on, what is it, whose line is it anyway? Since mm -hmm. the points don't matter and best, best cars <laughs> just being passed out to everyone. I want to say that the music in this episode was an absolute flipping slam dunkaroo not like the tiny pre-packaged dunkaroos like a costco tub size slam dunkaroo and also also since i'm just gonna open up floodgates i <laughs> loved the little visual touches that made this 
visually pleasing to enjoy. Like if you look mm -hmm. back, some some folks in some of our online communities are starting Clone Wars from the very beginning and putting in that time for some of the earlier episodes, whether or not they skip or not arguably quote unquote grinding through them but here in season seven the visual aesthetics have been really upped and i love the little touches like ahsoka surfing metal with her lightsaber looking like a snowboarder or surfer and yeah she's wrecking like a lot of freaking damage like the martez sisters somewhere out there are like have you learned nothing from what we've been talking about like stop damaging people's property nothing <laughs> but it looks so super duper cool and so i i will say as as a phantom apprentice menace here colleen if you had to choose one for the best mm -hmm. best car like okay. you like if you have to <laughs> this was not pre-planned you're totally under pressure if you had to choose one because remember maul gets split in half too <laughs> just like sam and ray shouts to lauren who would you ultimately choose for the best best car all right had to immediately it was not even not even a struggle for me for this one we're kind of breaking our villain winning oh my god i love no, no 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 this is what i love colleen you totally deflected you totally deflected like a jedi this is not going to work oh are we still like, are you listening to this, folks? Colleen, you totally Jedi deflects. You're like, that's not the question I'm going to answer. And for the core, we're breaking our... Okay, so moving on, just acknowledge that, like, my Force-sensitive skills have upped enough that I've noticed the deflection. <laughs> who, who won in the core of our episode Best Best Car, since we did choose a singular winner for this one? Yes, this is the winner you're looking for. <laughs> Shocking no one, including himself, because he never really got the hang of that force lightning thing. It's our dude, Maul, formerly known as Darth. Sarah, do you think he ever gets cranky about losing his titles, titles, titles? No. <laughs> just kidding. We know it vexes the shit out of him. For real. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, Colleen, just like what I kind of did earlier that you deflected. I really <laughs> hoped, based on some of your conversations before I started the episode i was wondering if you were going to choose ahsoka since she captured mm. maul escaped yada yada mm -hmm. and i was really wanting to do again a phantom menace unscripted turn on you <laughs> to vote for maul but i mm -hmm. guess that was just in a vision quest podcast dream that i had because we are in complete agreement tell folks why maul gets that big w win AKA, I guess, big B win for this episode. <laughs> Heck yes. Well, Ahsoka had a chance to win. Yeah. But in the end, she didn't fucking listen to Maul. Yeah. How could she not have listened to a paranoid maniac? How yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> Even those paranoid maniacs need a few things, right? Yeah. Occasionally. <laughs> I mean, in this episode, he's bringing it. He is magnetic. He's got that palpable, like, dark glamour that people like to follow. He owns every scene he's in, mm -hmm. even when he's taking else yep. from Ahsoka. Yep. He's still, like, the spotlight wants to pivot to him. Yep. He's just that magnetic of a character. 
Like his Mandalorians are out here following him without a question because they want a strong leader. They really didn't see this betrayal coming. Mm-mm. Like Gar Saxon. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he's able to trick people this well, and the only one he loses is Ahsoka, it's pretty good. Also, he's a team player. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, he's willing to team up with people, at least on both sides. Like, he wasn't going to kill Obi-Wan. He was hoping to convince him to help him destroy Anakin. Or go on a date, whichever happens Or go on a date. Yeah, I mean, he was ready with flowers. He was ready with chocolates. He was ready with everything to pitch to Obi-Wan. And and I will say, if there's anyone listening who, like, really (laughs) hates that we mess with that, like canonical accuracy i will say i apologize yeah i apologize (laughs) it's funny to me it's funny to colleen it's funny to a lot of people but like i do also respect mea culpa if the joke doesn't pass semester in your galaxy it's just a very like dark obsession kind of thing yes where we have to kind of nervous laugh yes make it a little bit funnier because otherwise it's way too real on the podcast guys like Yes, it is super dark. Like, and we don't we don't think Obi-Wan would have gone for this either. No. I mean, it's not like Maul has a special power over people. He's no like Satine, that. that's for sure. No, he's no Satine. I mean, he's maybe he smooth, but he's Obi-Wan not to kill Anakin. Like, Obi-Wan was not going to go for that. Like, sorry, Maul. Yes, we know he's super manipulative, but you can also tell that Maul has this, like, certain space in those two hearts for people who have been cast aside. Yep. Like he was. He even says about Dooku, I was really mean to Dooku. Maybe I shouldn't have been because we were both just trash to Palpatine. (laughs) Like, damn. Yeah. For all that he does wrong Mm. in the throne room with Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, he does incredibly well. From kind of Mandalorian value system, how could he, like... He knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned with respect to Bo-Katan who came in actively trying to shoot him, mm-hmm. but he kind of almost in the idyllic sense of what to do in the face of such an aggressive attack, he defensively maneuvers mm-hmm. physically and gets her to calm down enough to get opposing sides to listen mm-hmm. before dealing with them in a pseudo good faith <laughs> mm-hmm. like he tortures jesse but jesse also seems to be doing pretty okay uh, we no, just he know he's kind of proud of himself too he's like run along go join your brothers yeah, like, go, go off now he thinks he's doing something good <laughs> yeah so like <laughs> i think ultimately though our friend matt harrington mm-hmm. summarized this very well for us that mall quote wins Maul finally figured out what was going on, calmly explained it, and As- Ahsoka goes, you know, pretty much in essence, not my master, you you bitch, mm-hmm. but and lights him up, setting aside the marvel of Ray Park's motions being used to inform the animation here, the foresight by Maul to send his criminal lackeys into hiding and start carving out a realm in this upcoming chaos is perfect. I mean, Matt, mm-hmm. I... I totally agree. We totally love it. It's, quote, so dark side, not to mention practical. Precisely, Matt. Quote, leaving the Mandos to die is another great move. 
It's a tough move, but it is a great move. Quote, they'll always want to fight true, not hide true. So cut them out of the organization because fighting is going to be too overt for a shadow organization like Crimson Dawn. Again, Matt, true. Yep. The Mandos also were never going to leave Mandalore. So. Yeah, so I totally agree with Matt that Maul is the absolute undisputed episode champion. And so mm-hmm. since we've got that question as to who wins best best car solved, there's a few more things that need to be answered. So while we're leaving our beautiful Maul behind, I see the Padawan needs one last lesson. So let's move into the Master and Apprentice section. And so to kick off Master and Apprentice, we had been kind of holding on to this little gem for a while. Our friend of the pod, Sloan, asked a while back about why Maul has a double-bladed weapon. Mm -hmm. And frankly, we didn't want to just focus on that double-bladed weapon that we started talking about in the cool item holocron, a.k.a. Colleen's cool (laughs) arsenal (laughs) holocron. And so Colleen lovingly helped break down each of the Jedi unique styles when fighting with the saber because they're different and the books in particular i think really do a nice mm-hmm. job of fleshing that yes. out let's mm-hmm. talk about mace windu and he is i believe a master of form seven yes this is his particular invented style it's Ooh. the newest form of lightsaber combat there were six and now there are seven it's called Juyo or Vapad, and I'm probably pronouncing these wrong, so I will give it my best shot. Juyo or Vapad, also called the ferocity form, because the user has to channel their fury. That seems also so un that's, that's not it. What? Yep, it's a little bit. <laughs> what little things? Bit not Jedi. The practice is really limited due to the council's worry that it edges too close to the dark side. (laughs) Too close. The branding's the same. Mace, what are you talking about? You little hypocrite. Right? Right? He's using his aggression when he fights and his enemy's aggression against them to accomplish the style. Wow. So this is why Mace's blade is purple it's a blend of red and blue a blend of the dark and the light wow he's actually super balanced in order to be able to use this form but still like you're poo-pooing all these people from using the dark side when you're using it in saber battle (laughs) oh that's cool i did i did not know that okay so what about obi-wan who uses form number three Yes, this one is really popular among the Jedi. It is Surasu, the resilience form, and it's really effective against blaster fire, so it works really well against the droids. Okay. Who only use blaster fire. It's heavily favored by most Jedi. It relies on that kind of tight blade work, subtle dodges that Obi-Wan always uses for like maximum defensive coverage. Mm-hmm. And it's of course considered the ultimate expression of non-aggressive Jedi philosophy. Just like Obi. Although it was criticized for its lack of offensive capabilities, mm-hmm. it's like facilitated for survival rather gotcha. than victory. And another interesting yeah, one, If that's not the epitome of Obi-Wan, what is? Yes. Yep. Survival for victory. 
not as much about casualties. And then Kanan, Jairus, and Rebels also uses Form 3 a lot. The Grand Inquisitor actually says that he favors it to a ridiculous degree. Cool. And then, okay, what about Anakin, who's Mm. the master of Form 5? Yes, this one's actually kind of cool. This is called Xian or Gem Show. The Perseverance form, it stresses power attacks and then defense, immediately followed by a counter strike. Duh. This is kind of developed from Form 3, which makes sense because Anakin learns from Obi-Wan, so he would have learned Form 3 and then moved on to Form 5. And it was utilized because they wanted an offensive option. Once again, some Jedi believe that this form encouraged lethality, countering their beliefs. (laughs) Oops. Of course. Fits Anakin once again. And this is actually the most physically demanding of the forms. So this is why Anakin got so cut from episode two through Clone Wars into gotcha. episode three. Like this is why he's friggin' ripped in Revenge of the Sith. Gotcha. And then Yoda, master of form four. Mm-hmm. And he's a master of all the lightsaber forms, just like Mace Windu. But he favors this form, which might seem a little weird for Yoda because it's called the aggression form yeah. or Ataru. It's the most acrobatic, though. So this is why, like, Yoda's freaking flipping all over the damn place in gotcha. Attack of the Clones. Much to the crowds cheering, like, heck yeah, Yoda looks yeah. badass. But Qui-Gon Jinn was also a practitioner. I don't know if I can really imagine Liam Neeson's, like, six foot three frame Doing twirling and whirling stuff. i would love to see that i mm-hmm. would love to see that i would also really enjoy seeing that <laughs> what about younglings with form one mm-hmm. this one the d- determination form is used by the little cute little younglings and their jedi saber training with their little bitty lightsabers all the jedi are supposed to master this form before they move on to other disciplines so all of the Jedi know at least two forms for sure. Like they know form one and then they go on to whatever one they prefer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Count Dooku with master form two. Mm-hmm. Makashi. The contention form was graceful, almost like fencing. It's the most dual centric form, which makes sense for the super fancy aristocratic rich boy Dooku. Gotcha. It's based on and footwork and being elegant as fuck gotcha but it's really only good in like saber to saber combat it's not for deflecting blaster fire so much okay you have bodyguards for that though exactly exactly (laughs) ventress is hanging out in the background just ready to step in if she needs to it's fine and then darth maul master of form five no six yep we gotta end with our danger snack once again And he, of course, would have been, like, tending toward the more aggressive styles. But this form is specifically good for dual-bladed weapons. So this is one reason why Maul's got that dual-bladed weapon that he favors. It's great for this one. It's called the moderation form. (laughs) Uh. So, uh, (laughs) while we can't really say that Maul uses moderation in any way, shape, or form, this form also relies heavily on intuition and creativity in combat. Which he definitely shows. And it also utilizes those force attacks in conjunction with saber work. So it's like, who uses the force choke? Yeah. Really often? Or force push and pull in combat a lot? Our dude Maul. 
So if we, since this was all kind of pretty male centric, if Mm -hmm. we slated Ahsoka, Mm -hmm. do we know what kind of form she leans to? I would think maybe a five. Probably since she's learning from Anakin, it's probably a five. I know that um, Dippa Balaba used, she was pretty proficient in all of them, but since Mace was her teacher, she also knew how to use form seven. She also uses the two blades, not like dual, what, not like kind of like dual, like Maul uses. She actually has separated dual sabers. Right. I know that the, that specifically is called Jarkai, which okay. is when you're using two sabers. But I think, let's see, it looks like she's more like form five. Okay. And I know one of the Bane books mm. talks about weapon style yes. fighting very well if you're looking for deeper descriptions of fighting styles i think it's in either the first or second bane book and either way it's a very good audiobook for you to check out so that's my padawan pro that's tip cool character for my for the next question do we know who's calling maul up into the chopper vehicle because i was like it's a lady (laughs) who is this we do not it's it's not cast because she is captured on mandalore yeah and i doubt it's another mandalorian because this person is helping him escape it could be someone from one of the other syndicates like it could be someone from the pikes or black sun most likely it's someone from crimson dawn it can't be kira because she's too young at this point so it could be just somebody, a lieutenant of Dryden Vosses that just happens to be a really good pilot. Who has no concern about everyone else being abandoned on Mandalore. That, <laughs> Zero that concern. That was kind of my, like, <laughs> that was my cognitive dissonance there. I was like, so who would be like, what's happening down there is fine, but we gotta go. Okay. Okay. Die well, Mandalorian. <laughs> So, viewers, join us again next week to geek out together about Clone Wars Season 7, Episode 11, and what could be the heartbreaking Order 66 reveal, in which then you will hear me sobbing on air live. And what's, Great. And what's cool is right now we're in a Star Wars Schrodinger's cat situation <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm remaining stubbornly firm in not watching ahead while the world mm-hmm. starts to like churn with the truth of what <laughs> happened. So like I'm frothing at the mouth and and will be watching episode 11 as soon as we sign off. <laughs> so until then, keep letting other awesome geeks who love exploring Star Wars know about BGS and know that they can find us wherever they enjoy podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can send us your questions you want answered during the Master and Apprentice section, or even if there's just like a cool Star Wars tidbit you think we should include by emailing us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com and like, you know, just get deeper involved in our shared geeky community in a galaxy close, close to your ears and our two hearts. Our two mall hearts. And as they beat in rhythm in the light and the dark side... Thanks so very much. Sabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Star Wars. This was on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Season 7. 
Star Wars. This was on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, episode 10, 10, 10 to 10. That was some show you put on just now. Just doing our job, Captain. 